You are listening to the very first episode of Zookeeper Stories with your host, Matthew Price. The goal of this show is to provide answers to the question, how do you get your job as a zookeeper? I'm very excited to have a personal friend of mine on for the first episode. Connie Carson is currently retired, but had a 42-year-long career at the San Diego Zoo, and I was fortunate enough to work alongside her for five of those years. I took every opportunity to learn as much as I could from her vast knowledge and experience. Today, I will share her story with you. Welcome to the Zookeeper Stories podcast, everybody. This is the very first episode. I'm happy to have one of my very good friends, Connie Carson. She was a zookeeper at the San Diego Zoo for 42 years, which I find amazing. So starting it out, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, how did you get your start in zookeeping? Did you go to school or anything? Was it something you had always wanted to do? Just kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts on, uh, on all that. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Carson. I am a native of San Diego, so I've been going to the zoo since I was little. And about eight years old, I realized I wanted to be a zookeeper. So that's what I did. And I felt I had that special thing with animals. You can call it whatever you want, six like cents or sense. whatever. But I call it, and I also, it has a lot to do with passion. So you have that passion. I really wanted to work with animals. I didn't want to work with them because I love them. I wanted to work with them because I wanted to take care of them. I wanted to feed them. I didn't want to nurture them. I didn't have that mother instinct. I just wanted to give them the care they needed and make them okay, happy for, uh, for, to live longer. That was my goal. My goal was to have animals that lived a long time because I made them comfortable in their environment. So then as I got older, I had an opportunity to work for a vet. And, um, oh, I worked at a dog and cat boarding kennel first. And that's where I lived. I lived at the kennel and I took care of dogs and cats, other people's animals, which was more fun than ever to take care of somebody else's pets. So that's what gave me the experience to be around animals that would return to their parents that weren't really mine. It was like having kids that you borrowed and then sent back. <laughs> and that's the best kind of kids, right? So it was really rewarding. When people were gone on vacation, I would write them little notes from their animals about how happy they were <laughs> at the kennel while their parents were gone to Hawaii or whatever. Silly things like that. Because remember, I was only 17. So when you were eight years old and you loved animals, was there a specific thing that happened? Was there a moment? Was there a show? Was there an animal that said, hey, you know, this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life as a, as a career option? No, I think it just all came naturally. I wasn't even that person that collected lizards and bugs and stuff. I just said in my heart, my heart said it. That was, you know what, it just so happened that was my, that's what I was supposed to do. So then at that age, did you start taking steps to make that dream happen? Or did it not happen until you were, you said you were 17 or 18 when yeah. you started working at the shelters? It didn't happen until I had the opportunity to work with dogs. I worked at the kennel, and then as I grew I was there for a while, I actually got to live at the kennel. There was a little house there with took care of the dogs and cats and back, which is really fun because I have lots of fun dog stories. You know, Rufus and Bruno, two St. Bernard puppies that were fun, stuff like that. And then I've always been a big dog person, and then I went on going to dog shows and being aware of dog breeds. That was kind of fun. Okay. Then from the um, kennel, I the owner of the kennel had a niece that worked for the zoo. Okay. So you have to remember, this is 1972. <laughs> Six years before I was born. Six years before. You were, but it also was a time as if you want a good job, you have to know someone. And the San Diego Zoo... I'll tell you, it was a man's, the zookeepers there were all men. They were ex-military, and they were retired military and ex-circus. 
So there wasn't too many girls and women in the field at all, except in the children's zoo area. And Joan Embry was there, um, and Carol. Carol was my connection. I worked for her uncle, and I applied three times to work at the zoo. In between there, I was trying to say I worked at a vet's office mm -hmm. and found I didn't like the animals laying there having surgery. I yeah. couldn't hear the little scuffle going... <laughs> but I did like cleaning the cages. I didn't care how messy they were. I made them ha comfortable, and I, I gave them clean towels, and I gave them food and water. That was when I realized, okay, I just want the husbandry part. I don't want to be a vet. And you know what? And I never, ever, in 42 years, called myself a trainer, but the animals did things for me. They, this was way before training, way before yeah. enrichment. Animals just did things for you because you asked them to, you know? conditioning however you want to put it so anyway so then with that connection i applied for the zoo twice and on the second call i got an interview and they hired me it was in the children's zoo again in 1972 7 7 72 so <laughs> it was a fourth of july weekend wow and i actually ended up taking carol's position when Carol left, I took her position. Oh wow! So that was kind of so she cool. was your connection in. And yeah, then... I used my connection in, and uh, and those days it was a high school education and a driver's license. Yeah, and I was twenty. Did they generally hire people that only had animal experience at that point, or I think they or... did. Okay, because the girls I worked with had horses. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then we, you know, I was in the children's. It was children's in those days. They had a nursery. They was funded, sponsored, they had incubators. They actually, in the past, had babies that were hand-raised, cutesy in the diapers, all that kind of thing. My job half the time was just playing with orangutans, yeah. taking care of goats and all the fun stuff. That's where you see all those early stage pictures of us holding baby orangs. <laughs> we had to move the orangs from point A to point B, and point B means you had to sit in a great big giant moat and hang out with orangutans all day or move around and raise baby elephants. That sounds pretty terrible. All kinds of fun <laughs> stuff. And then you worked with lion cubs. People pet these animals. Like zoo guests? Zoo guests. Wow. You were playing it's with... a different world. Yes, yes. You were playing with tiger cubs. You had... I raised six sets of tiger cubs. People were able to pet them. We would walk tiger cubs that were four or five months old on a leash around the zoo. It was really fun. We'd walk uh, baby yaks. And then the guinea fowl would chase us. It was like... So much fun. It was a fun time. It was early days before you had millions of people coming in. So how long did you have to work with, you know, I guess, smaller animals, uh, less dangerous animals, that kind of thing, before you were giving a shot to take care of baby orangs and tigers and, and stuff and, and lions and things like that? Oh, like it's day one in the children's Day one, you were, you yeah. were thrown right into that, huh? That, it was, was, yeah, yeah so. too bad. <laughs> People, the yeah. kids would slide down the slide, and there'd be maybe elephant in the paddock with the goats. It was like so much fun. And uh, um, then we had a. Uh, I sat with dingoes. I sat with. Uh, I can't. You know what? I I'm so lucky for all the fun. Uh, no, wonderful opportunities I've had yeah. to work with a number of wonderful uh, animals. So um, yeah, I raised baby hoofstock. So uh, what was happening was um. After 12 years in the children's zoo, I started to outgrow it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I started, it was just time to move on. Yeah. I had the opportunity to work out in the big zoo, is what I called it, right. with the rhino babies that grew too, they were too big for the children's zoo, so we moved them right into an exhibit, which is now under the sky ride where there's anteaters. I worked wow. in that exhibit. With rhinos in that with exhibit. With rhinos. Huh. 
And then I, at the end of my career, I worked in there with uh, fixing up for anteaters, you know, just kind mm-hmm. of fun, big circle. Anyway, so. Well, cool. So you loved animals. You worked at a vet hospital. And then you got, use your connection to get into the zoo. Uh, worked in the children's zoo for 12 years with all kinds of crazy stuff. And then you got out into the big zoo. When do you think the zoo, I guess, zoo world, zoo industry started changing from more of that, you know, every, the kids and everybody can pet baby lions and tigers to, you know, moving towards where we are today, where it's very hands off for guests for the most part, except for, you know, petting zoo animals and things like that. Like that's a very big shift in the zoo industry going from more of an entertainment thing to more of a conservation and education background, you know. So within those 12 years, it was slowly changing okay. because the dingo couldn't run around on a leash. We had to start putting uh, a fence up. We had to ask people not to pet them after a while. We had, uh, uh, they couldn't ride the tortoise because the uh, Galapagos tortoise came endangered. So that animal was taken out of the petting zoo where kids were able to ride him. Mm. I even think I have a picture of that. Wow. Pretty sad. <laughs> I have African African cicada at home. It's hundred pounds. I can ride her. No. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's really and you watch things change conservation wise. Yeah. The orangutans went. Uh, they started, I think, with the chimps and the orangutans to start bringing them into leaving them out with the adults and setting up. Uh, there was no more juvenile. There was basically a juvenile exhibit for the orangutans. It would take four people to get a baby orang to go into the, <laughs> into the <laughs> exhibit. One on each arm and one on the head. <laughs> As the little orang said, no, I don't want to leave this person. <laughs> you know, it's like that. So um, uh, then they realized it started changing. You got to think, okay, between 72 and 85. Yeah. It was changing. Sure. Yeah. And for the better. Yeah. Only for the better. Yeah, of course. You know, and uh, everything. I've watched, I've watched that San Diego Zoo. Oh. It's amazing. Since 1972, the changes are just amazing. I watched the old exhibits for the apes become new ones, and then the changes started. They were out of their concrete uh, exhibits into these beautiful waterfall exhibits. Um, I, like everybody else, went out with zookeepers because uh, that's who you're attracted to. They're on the same schedule and the same interests. Went to 11 different zoos between San Diego and Woodland Park. You get to Woodland Park and you're like, oh, look at that amazing gorilla exhibit. And today we have one just as, as amazing. All the zoos have them just as amazing. Uh, you know, you get to see the different stuff. So it's very cool. Yeah, yeah. So you've worked with all kinds of animals from baby stuff in there. You've worked with primates. You've worked with hoofstock. you work with carnivores. Do you have like a f- top three favorite species that you've ever worked with? You know, my favorites are rhinos. Uh-huh. Okay. But, By the way, her uh, license plate is Rhino, Rhino Mom. Rhino Mom. <laughs> so, you know what? I am so lucky because I've worked with all everything. I've worked with all the species of taper. How cool was that to yeah, have woolly a baby mountain tapers? Yeah, mountain yeah. tapers. Um, all the rhinos except Javan. L- lots of monkeys. Lots of stuff. You know what? I, you think back and the opportunity that I have, and that's what I'm going to call it, a special opportunity to work with these animals. They let you work with them. You know, I worked with Loon the Baboon, an insulin-dependent diabetic. He only let certain people work with him. He allowed me to work with him. So I always felt privileged that I worked with the for the animals. I worked for the animals. I wasn't in there for Facebook. I wasn't in there for, ta-da, look at me, I'm in the exhibit. I was in that exhibit, and those Garanooks stood on me because they liked me. 
<laughs> because I had a cookie. No, <laughs> but only because the animals wanted your presence. And that gives you that special thing of why you're a zookeeper. And yeah. I could only call it passion. Yeah. I want, and, and I love going to work every day. I'll tell you, 4.30 in the morning is not very pleasant. I don't miss it because I'm retired, but I loved getting up in the morning and going to work. And I loved being there. And I would always leave late. They would say, go home. I love my job. <laughs> I loved it. And so that's that's what I miss. I But I feel like that was my purpose. Yeah. Um, because 42 years is a long time. That's a long time to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long time to yeah, literally, <laughs> literally anything. And to do one job for that long at one zoo. Just to give some yeah. perspective, I've been a keeper now for 16 years, and I've worked at five different zoos. So the fact that you've done it in one place for all that time. So passion is very important, obviously, to be a zoo, good zookeeper. What do you think three things are that you would need to be a good zookeeper? You know, you have to not do the job for you. It's not about you. I can make it about me, but it's not about you. It's about the animals. Yep. Your goal is to get that animal. I'll tell you, when you first think about being a zookeeper, well, I did. I actually thought, do I want to work with animals in a confined space? Maybe I think these spaces are too small. Maybe I have the same perception as the public had walking and going, nah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. But then you step in that exhibit, and I could still feel the flutter of my heart stepping in the exhibit and looking out to the animal's point of view and say, you know what, I'm going to make this the best, most comfortable area I can. And that's what I did. Now, this is way before enrichment, click, yeah. click, or way before uh, opera conditioning, way before all this, because you have to realize I worked with men. And, you know, that was a tough field to step into and to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So I think from respect from them, I was able to continue. I didn't have an attitude where it was all about me, and they respected that. And I did respect their knowledge and experience. That, okay, that is a key thing. Expect someone else's knowledge and experience. You don't know everything. Yeah. In fact, you don't know nothing. You learn something new every day. You can read all those books on all the different species, and the uh, if you want to be a writer or write articles and stuff on, on the taxonomy, whatever, but street smart and just to know when you walk an exhibit how am I going to get out of here if something happens you know where's my name you have to you have to walk in an exhibit with an, an animal and think what's the safest way to get around it and if you're nervous the animal's going to feel you're nervous there's just a lot of special yeah. parts about being a keeper yeah it's a very dynamic job it's funny that you mentioned you know respecting people that have come before you and their experience that was my first blog post yeah. Uh, was to be humble, you know, be humble, let, you know, respect the people that have come before you, listen to them, like your entire first zookeeping year, even more than that, really, should be learning and absorbing and, and listening to those that have come before you. So, yeah, I think that's really important, too. You can't keep building the will. Yeah. You know, everyone comes in thinking it's never been done before. We've done it. And you know what? When I... Okay, was uh, I did write an article about uh, watch, witnessing the birth of an otter, blah, blah, blah. I have some papers that are published. Went to a conference. And I'll tell you, learning at the conference was what it went wrong with different things. And then you brought those same mistakes home to say, let's make it not happen to us. Yeah. Let's make sure the vaccines for the main wolf pups are this. And, you know, let's learn all that stuff from other people. And that was real important for Azac. I was ASAC president for nine years of yeah. our chapter, yeah. you know, and I think I, I had the big crowds come. The keepers participated because 
of they respected me as a keeper you know and I didn't know everything and I used the uh, we shared a lot of knowledge and experience from our speakers yeah that's awesome um how about we all we all have them we've all done had things done to us that are or we've done things that are embarrassing so I'll tell you a quick one that happened to me just happening at the San Diego Zoo when I started we were walking our reindeer Boris we had we trained him to walk into a trailer you know we're taking him for walks regularly it had been a little while because he got a little bit bigger got a, his hard rack which is generally a no-no of going in with them and I was training a new keeper on how to walk the animal and I got him walking around the corner down by Elephant Odyssey and all of a sudden Boris said, decided that he was a full-grown boy at that point and literally tried to mount me in front of a big giant double-decker bus full of guests. Uh, so that's that's just one example of something embarrassing that has happened to me in this field. And someone who has worked in a zoo for 42 years, I'm sure, has some really good stories about how you've been embarrassed in front of guests or maybe a supervisor or whatever. Do you have anything like that? Yes, of course I do. <laughs> this was funny. I worked with the primates, and we have to wear primate protocol gloves. And I had a little bag of gloves on my side pouch. And when I walked by Boubette, a little Mangdebees exhibit, I had dropped a glove in front of her exhibit. And I foolishly bent down to get it. And out of nowhere, Boubette ran over, stuck her arms out of the wire, and got my hair and was banging my head against the wire. Oh, no. <laughs> was there guests in the zoo? There's guests oh, everywhere. They're all behind me. She's banging my head, and I'm going, let go, Boubette, let go, let go. She finally lets it go with two big wads of hair in her hand and runs away. And I looked around, and there was like six rows of people deep. And this is video camera time. And I went, crap. And I went in the back and I hid for three hours. So I've been waiting for that to come on YouTube. What did he say? <laughs> it would today. It would. It, it, would. Would it was today. a different world back then, man. <laughs> but this was a day where there was still cameras. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's going to show up on, on YouTube. But that was really embarrassing. Man. Oh, so my gosh. That, is funny. that was really funny. How about uh, we talk a little bit about animals that you have worked with that you like. Is there any animals in your crazy career that you any species that you never got to work with that you always wanted to? You know, I worked with a small bear. Uh, actually, I worked with a pretty cool bear. Her name was uh, Blue Jean. She was actually a blue bear. There was black bears and there was some blue bear thing. They made a big deal about two of them. Uh, and it was a cub, about 80 pounds. And she was in, and I learned how to jump out of a moat real quick with her. <laughs> uh, but I never really worked with the bears. I knew the bear guys and sure. I've been around the bears. I was never around the, uh, the bears. I, I had too many other things to do. You know, I had, I did all the hoof stock, like I was saying, all the different species of, you know, the golden monkeys, cool things like that. Think, you know, the opportunities that I had are just amazing because, okay, I worked with all species of hyena, brown spotted and oh, striped. Wow. When I was working brown hyenas, there was only eight left in the country. Now wow. I don't think they would have a zoo that has brown I hyenas. Have not, I, have, I have never seen them. So. I don't think so. And I worked with African honey dogs and puppies and the whole bit. It was, well, we went at Christmas time, we had puppies and we called them mistletoe and and whatever we called them, and then we smelled like little puppies, and then we wore our uniforms outside the zoo, and I would stink in the line at Christmas time. People were like smelling it, and I smelled like a, a, a honey dog, which was disgusting, you know, <laughs> but fun, you know, <laughs> fun stuff like that. Oh, and then you, uh, Christmas Eve, we had to do surgery on an otter. We did C-section, stuff like that, fun yeah. stuff to work with the vets and stuff. Yeah. You know, fun, fun stuff. Yeah, I can't, the, I, the only thing I... I don't really regret not working with big bears because one swat and your head's gone. So 
Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. So speaking of that, recently in the news, and I'm sure everybody is well aware at this point, there was an incident at the West Palm Beach Zoo in Florida last week where a keeper unfortunately was killed by a tiger when she entered their night house. Now, obviously, we don't know details. There's nothing, there's nothing coming out from the zoo, but obviously a horrible incident. So have you ever had a dangerous situation that you were involved in? And do you have any advice for people that do work with dangerous animals, how to, you know, kind of prevent obviously anything bad happening to themselves like what are the important tools when you're working with those kind of animals to avoid anything bad happening you know what i thought about this i'm center telling you about all the fun things i worked with educational okay right. uh tiger cubs and all that okay the last six months prior to my retirement i had the opportunity to work and walk into our cat building which is lions and jaguars okay i haven't had a fear I got, okay, and I got beat up by a kangaroo, <laughs> you know, and I have 10 fingers and 10 toes. I mean, the kangaroo thing, I could make it a funny story, but, you know, uh, but that was about the, the most scary thing I was around. Sure. But when I walked in that cat building, I shook, and they said, you're going to work these big cats. And the reason why I shook is because I'm older, I'm a little chubbier, I'm a lot slower, and I knew I would not be able to be in there in my A game. And I was shaking in my boots. Really, I was scared. I was uncomfortable. I looked at all the secure doors. I'm just saying, this is the most secure building could ever be in. But I tell you, my heart fluttered saying, I am worried about being in this building. And then my other side of the head's going, you're retiring in six months. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be here. And I let people know that I was pretty uncomfortable being in there. And I made a point of not I'm asking them not to be in there by myself because I knew my limits. You know, in your younger days, you think, oh, I could go jump on that Clydesdale. You know, you, know, you could do all that stuff. Sure. And I was really no big rodeo queen, and I'm not really athletically inclined, but I knew my limits. But I also knew my limits at my age and at my slowness and at my weight and that I just and my, I wasn't as limber and I could get a little dementia. I just knew I went down my A game. So if you ever get in a situation, even if you're working with another keeper and your heart is telling you or your gut is saying, not a good idea, listen to it. If you think you have any sense at all working around animals, listen to your gut. All of us have been in a situation where a cat can move the wrong way or, or, that, or this and that could happen. Or all of a sudden you turn around and go, oh, I didn't know that gazelle was still in there. You know, everyone's been in one of those little flash moments but there's so many animals that flash moment you're gone yeah you know? yeah i think it just comes back to that being humble again you know like knowing your limits and knowing not getting complacent and, just, and someone that has been you know worked as a zookeeper for as long as you did the fact that 40 years later you come into a cat building that you haven't worked before and you don't get complacent you don't just pretend that you know everything you don't you know get into a routine where this is all this is what you do because the job changes constantly those cats change constantly so i, I really feel becoming complacent with what you're doing and falling into a routine is one of the most dangerous things that especially carnivore keepers can can do well actually i've worked with let's talk about keepers okay i have worked with the best and i have worked with some pretty bad ones there are some pretty bad ones out there and there's some uh there are some excellent ones. There's some people you walk up next to them side by side. You're both on the same page. You know, uh, uh, 
I was around a long time and the, and the ones that came in thinking they know everything. You don't know everything. I learn something new every day. I'm yeah. retired and I still learn something new every day. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, it, and every day you learn something new and you have to work with that other person side by side. And there's some people you click with real good. You know, you can really click. You, uh, sometimes you go out with them. <laughs> you know, some people you click. But some people that you don't click with, you have to say, look, the two of us are, and I've done this quite a few times. So you tell a pretty straightforward person, we may not have personality matches, but we have the same work ethic and we're going to do this together. Yeah. And we're going to both be on the same page. Communication. And yeah. And I don't, you know, we're going to have to work on this together because I got to get your back and you got to get my back. But I've also gone to other people and said, I'm not comfortable working with that person. If you're working with somebody yeah. and the ostrich is going to run after him and he's going to run after you, I don't want to go in there anymore because it's going to make the ostrich come after me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so you, yeah. you are in a position where you can uh, let somebody else know, you know, you got to let somebody else know that you could trust and say, look, I'm really not that comfortable with this person or the two of you have to work it out. It's, um, that's how you live long and prosper. <laughs> <It> really is. <laughs> so then, you mentioned you work with lots of good keepers, lots of bad. You know, maybe not lots of bad. Not lots keepers. Of bad. You work with you work with good keepers and bad keepers. Is there like a defining thing that separates a good keeper from a bad keeper? I kind of feel like it's what I call give a shittedness. You know, like if you care, if you care, you're passionate, you're there for the right reasons, you're there for the animals and not yourself. I feel like that goes a long way into yeah. making a good keeper. Yeah. But is there anything that I guess is there anything you could pinpoint that would say this is a this is something if if you want to be a good keeper don't be like this or don't do this. You know, is there Yeah, you're working for the animals. Yeah. You know, if they need clean water, don't be out there taking pictures. Right. Clean the don't clean the water bowl. So the work ethic is is what I'm talking about. I I know. I know. Uh I don't have any, I I know perfect perfect person yeah, of course but We're it's not. not about you yeah it's about making the animal comfortable so let's go back real quick where remember i worked before there was enrichment yep. departments before there was uh training departments before i worked when it was just zookeeping yeah. the field has opened up so much more for tech uh vet techs go out in the field uh you could be a behaviorist you could be a technician you could be out i was a zookeeper it was natural. It was part of the job. We didn't make a department out of it. It wasn't called enrichment. It was called doing your job. Yeah. You know? And uh and making things hanging a basket for a serval. Now nobody had to write a letter about it. We just did it, you know? And so so I watched that happen too, where the self or people came up with other ideas and then they made departments out of it. But that was just part of society, I guess, because to me, part of your job is fluffing your beds, keeping them clean. Doing this, doing that, and so know. even so even then back in the day when there was no you know necessarily any requirements for enrichment or training and you that did it. you know you could get by you could certainly get by with just walking in cleaning the exhibit feeding and leaving never look at your animal for the day like you would be like the management would be okay with that as part of the job sure. but people like you went above and beyond because you did it for the animals. And that's really, I guess, the point that I'm trying to pin down here is that if you care, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And if you have that passion and you're there for the right reasons, then you're going to be a good keeper. So I worked with all men. There was very, very few girls out there. And they go, oh, there goes that girl. 
She's planting a tree again. Oh, there goes there. <laughs> She's hanging the bushes somewhere else, you know. But they got over it. I didn't make it. I didn't do it about me. I did about the animals. Right. You know, maybe if we hang this branch, he could rub his hair, his coat off on it. Yeah. Do whatever you want. You know, <laughs> but when they realized the rhinoceros would not come to them unless they yelled like I did, there was no clicker. There was no bell. I actually think opera conditioning was invented because of me, because <laughs> the guys would have to hang over the wall and go, little, 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 little. We're not going to yell little, little. Well, the rhinos not going to come in, you know, so they would actually go little, 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 and then the rhino would come in. So I actually think they invented, let's ring a bell. And maybe the rhino will respond to the bell, so they all go to the bell instead of sound like Connie. And that was everybody's joke at this point. That's awesome. Well, I know you got to get out of here pretty soon, so um, yeah, let's wrap stuff. up. <laughs> so busy with lots of retirement stuff. Um, I can't wait till I'm retired, honestly. I love my job, but I can't wait till I'm retired. But uh, no, let's wrap up with, if you could give, you know, kind of one Maybe not one, because I know we uh, we like to talk. <laughs> but, you know, some kind of advice to someone who's looking to get into the field. And then, you know, once you're there, like advice for early zookeepers, like how to stay in it for a long time. You know, longevity is not uh, – longevity in this field is, is not there's, – there's often quite a lot of turnover in this field. You know, you don't see keepers like for me. I've been at the zoo for six years now. But I still go to meetings and there are people that I've never seen before, sure. you know, and there's other people that are just disappeared. So I guess just if you have any advice for people that want to get into the field, how to go about that and, you know, how to how to make your career a long one. You know what? As far as what it uh, what it takes to become a zookeeper now, more and more zoos are requiring the books, the yeah. academics and yeah. all the biology and uh, degrees and all that, which I personally think on the job training is how I learned. Yeah which would be tough now, I think, so, different things. But um, when you go in, you have to pace yourself. You can't, if if you're, if you have to know your limits. My, okay, I took your rhinoceros. There was 10 bales of hay that had to be put in a barn. Uh, at that time, I weighed 130 pounds. <laughs> as much as a bale of as hay. As much as a bale of hay. So I would do five bales of hay and maybe 10 bags of grain and then go do something else, go clean a pool, come back. Two more bales of hay, two more, and come back. It would take me all day, but I'd get it done. And the manager one time came over and said, why isn't all that put away? I said, I pacing myself. And because of that, I didn't get broken. Yeah. I, I'm left in good shape. Yeah. Um, and then after I left the area, they fixed the barn for a forklift because the guys weren't <laughs> going to do it. You know, that kind of thing. So you have to pace yourself. You have to know your limits. But you have to know your limits in... in in the whole day of the job, you know, you can't, you can't move a hundred pounds in a wheelbarrow all day and then think you're going to be okay. You know, you have to pace yourself and the animals, you have to pace yourself working around them too. You know, you can't go in there and hurry, hurry, hurry and try to plant 10 trees when the Bontabuck's standing there going, you know, after a second tree, I just want to kill you. <laughs> you know, you gotta, uh, pacing yourself is the key, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, as far as getting into the field, I think, you know, I know keepers that don't, I know people that want to be keepers and they don't have the degree in biology and zoology. And I think they'd make great keepers. Well, that's great. Great advice. Um, I also think that like volunteering is a good way to do it. I know this zoo doesn't do it, but places like lions, tigers and bears and the wolf center and other zoos that I've worked have had a lot volunteers uh, in animal areas. So that's yeah. a good way to do it too, I think. Um, but before we close here, I just wanted to give you the floor one more time. You know, you can talk about 
anything you want in terms of the zookeeping field. <laughs> anything at all. I know you uh, you like to talk. So uh, if there's anything else you want to talk about, whether it's uh, you know, advice or a fun story or you know just anything, you know, like looking back on your career, is there anything you took away from it? You know, anything you want to talk about here for the last couple minutes? I did my purpose in life. That's it. Yeah. I. Uh... I can't. <laughs> I'll get emotional. Yeah. No, I did. I work with some really cool stuff and cool people. And you know what? Every time they lose a zookeeper, they just need another zookeeper up in the sky. Yeah. You know? I have friends up there and all those animals that don't make it, they need zookeeping. Yeah. You know? I'll see them someday. Yeah. When they're ready for a zookeeper up there again, they'll call <laughs> on me. You know, in the meantime, they're going to let me retire a little bit. But that's that's my feelings. I can't. Uh, it's sad when we lose one of our own. But think of all those animals that they're taking care of. Yeah. You know, because that's sad too. Yeah. You know. So. Well, we'll we'll go ahead and end there and say thanks to all the zookeepers that have come before us and uh, all the good work they're doing for uh, the animals that didn't make it either. Thanks, yeah. guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, wrap up now. Hope you had a good time and be back with you guys with another show soon.